Hello everyone, welcome to Green.io, the podcast for doers making our digital world greener, one bite at a time. I'm your host, Gael Duez, and I invite you to meet a wide range of guests working in the tech industry to help you better understand and make sense of its sustainability issues and find inspiration to positively impact our digital world. If you like the podcast, please rate it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite platform to spread the word to more responsible technologists like you. And now, enjoy the show. Welcome back on the show, Cameron and Ben. Are you still happy to be there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, of course. Okay, thanks a lot. In the first part of this episode, we discussed intensively about the sustainability dashboards released by AWS, GCP, and Azure, as well as the benefits of using CCF to try cloud sustainability. And of course, you gave us meaningful insights on how to act upon these metrics to reduce the carbon footprint coming from anyone's cloud operation, mentioning especially all the works being done in the Green Software Foundation. What I'd like to start talking about now is let's talk beyond just the greenhouse gas emissions made by the sole electricity consumption of data centers. So f first of all, to kill a bit a debate that doesn't really need to happen, reducing those emissions is never a waste of time, either by lowering the carbon intensity of the energy mix or even better when focusing on reducing the electricity consumption because a good watt remains a negawatt. And we should be aware of the eviction effects when this uh, low carbon electricity cannot be used for all the needs. But what about the carbon footprint of all this equipment inside a data center, the so-called embedded carbon? Can it be tracked? What's your take on it? So the way that Cloud Carbon Footprint open source tool uh, tackles embedded or embodied emissions is considering it as the amount of carbon emitted during the creation and disposal of a hardware device. So in order to estimate embodied emissions in the cloud, we need to calculate the fraction of the total embodied emissions that should be allocated to your particular amount of usage or workload. For example, if you're only utilizing a subset of virtual CPUs, that are available on a given physical server, then we need to allocate a relative amount of embodied emissions to represent this. And CCF is able to leverage the first version of the software carbon intensity, the SCI specification, which defines a methodology for calculating the rate of carbon emissions for a software system. Uh, we've also leveraged the research published by TEEDS and Benjamin Davey here in order to apply this to AWS, GCP, and Azure. So by applying the formula, we're able to get embodied emissions estimations, but at this time, we're only able to include compute usage types for each cloud provider. But having said that, we're welcome to any con contributions to apply embodied emissions to other types of cloud usages as well. Yeah, fair point. Ben, do you want to highlight a bit this um, study that has been done at TEED? Yeah, sure. Uh, and thanks, Cameron, for <laughs> using this and uh, improving it. So with TEED and also with the Boavista Collective, we looked at the state of the art to define basically emission factors to estimate the manufacturing emissions depending on the server hardware specifications. The issue is that there are really few publicly available reports and data. And even the most advanced studies we found, they rely on a few reports from electronic components manufacturers themselves. 
And these reports are starting to be uh, a bit old, dating sometimes for uh, five or seven years. Basically, the state of the art on assessing the embodied emissions of digital hardware is really, really limited. Even um, specific lifecycle database that you need to pay for, they do not really have much better data. So in fact, we had to make some guess and uh, use what was best available so these estimations, these uh, emission factors, they have their limitation, but it's the, the best we could, uh, we could find. And um, I think we need to start somewhere. So it's uh, already uh, interesting to estimate, calculate something. And on top of that, it's even more difficult if we think about uh, hyperscaler hardware, because they usually uh, have custom made electronic uh, components, hardware, they, they build their own uh, uh, network uh, hardware, they have a custom uh, made uh, uh, Intel CPUs, they have their own uh, CPU design firm. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's getting uh, even more difficult. So, um, yeah, embodied emissions is really, uh, where we should push as a, an industry, as a practitioner for more transparency from manufacturers ultimately goes down to uh, the extraction of all the metals and minerals that are used to build these resources. Going back to what you said, we definitely need more transparency from manufacturers, from regular, I would say, standard equipment. But what you've mentioned regarding hyperscaler, that seems to lead to a unique conclusion that we need more transparency from them as well. Is it something that you are optimistic, both, both Ben and Cameron, because you've got a different positions with them? So if we think about carbon and uh, scope three emissions, I, I'm fairly confident that all providers will follow what Microsoft did and report scope three. But if they report it on a monthly basis and uh, on a service level, they will not disclose, I think, industrial secrets. So that's something they can do, uh, I hope, and I, I'm pretty uh, sure they will. However, disclosing with more details the other impacts from manufacturing their infrastructure and hardware, I think it's uh, very early and we will need more push from regulation. And this is coming in Europe and in France. So maybe at some point they will be pushed to do this, but without any regulation, I wouldn't be confident about this. And what's your take on it, Cameron? I would agree with Ben that, you know, now that Microsoft has sort of started the trend, it will push the others to follow suit. I wouldn't expect that to happen anytime soon because I think there might be some hurdles to be jumped to be able to provide that sort of data. I also agree that it's really going to be driven by regulation, like Ben said in uh you know, some companies disclose some of this data today, but a lot of it's done on a voluntary basis. And I think this kind of gets in at least into the U.S. where we have some of these SEC proposals, which would, you know, help accelerate some of this to go beyond carbon a bit and take a look into, 
you know, more scope three guidelines that you need to report on besides just the cloud carbon footprint. Hmm. And this regulation might also help us having more homogeneous way to report and maybe even a bit more academic background with more research, etc. Because w what I understand is that we've got very little consensus on how they should be measured. Plus, we've got very little transparency on the data. There's non-consensual methodology are calculated upon. Is it correct? Yeah, I would definitely say there is very minimal data out there right now. But, you know, from the time I first started getting involved in this space to now, I think there's been a lot more in the space, partially thanks to, you know, people like Ben and his colleagues publishing more and more research. Um, but that, you know, that's what makes it hard for our team to calculate our methodologies. And we're relying on estimation since we're not actually able to deal with the the actual energy consumption data. We have to measure and use averages from publicly available data until we are able to source more of this and until there is more research done to understand what a good calculating coefficient could be for measuring net networking usage, something like that. Yeah, fair point. Absolutely fair point. So we mentioned it several times, and I think it's actually time to move beyond carbon. I had a discussion recently. I wanted to know a bit more about the SDIA and I reached out Max uh, Schulze, its founders. It was very straightforward on several points, like the lack of transparency, the need to focus on LCA. I think it was very provocative saying, well, stop focusing on carbon. His point was that we need to focus a lot more on the other environmental impact of the digital sector. And Ben, you started to mention it. So what's your position on it? When we think about uh, optimizing our footprint and using uh, the carbon as the main KPI, some of our reflex or some of our ideas to do that might transfer impacts somewhere else. So let me give you uh, an example. Each year, providers are adding newer instance types that are more power efficient. This hardware is manufactured and manufacturing it as an impact. If I only look at carbon emissions due to the use of electricity, and even if I take into account uh, scope three and embodied emissions, pushing the industry for renewing often the, the hardware we use for electricity efficiency reasons, is creating a lot of issues on the environment because to manufacture these, we need to extract a lot of metals. This topic is being more and more discussed due, due to the energy transition. We talk about it because of uh, lithium and bat batteries, but actually it's the same for all metals. Uh, we need to be cautious on our usage of metals because we used to live in a fossil world and we are entering a metal world. So all of the things that tech we are using rely on metal and it's not an infinite resource. The solar panels and the windmills are using metals, a lot of metals. This is uh, something we need to have in mind is that on top of optimizing the energy we use, the electricity we use, we might also want to avoid renewing too often 
the hardware we use. But the question I, I actually wanted to ask you, Ben, regarding what you, you stated about resource exhaustion is, but what about reusing and recycling? Today, we do not really uh, recycle electronic components. We, we move them to a recycling facility and then we are not today able to, or maybe it's not economically, uh, economically uh, viable, but to get the, the, the raw materials back. So it's today, there's not a, a complete uh, loop on the, the recycling on the, it's difficult to separate the, the, the elements. So maybe in the future, uh, yeah, in the digital collage, when I animate the workshop, the digital collage, I always use the, the example of the ratatouille. Yeah? <laughs> That's almost impossible to exactly. create back a tomato once you've put it in the ratatouille. Yeah, that's exactly the, the right uh, image. So recycling is not today not a viable solution for many reasons. So the best way to, to approach this is to use the existing hardware much longer. And to be frank, um, most of the hardware we have today is already pretty good. And as soon as the electricity grid is a bit uh, less carbonized, this will push the problem on manufacturing and we can uh, focus on uh, uh, maybe uh, making sure that this hardware is uh, used uh, longer. To avoid the transfer of pollution. Exactly. We only talked about metallic extraction, but there are dozens of impacts that are analyzed in a, a life cycle uh, analysis uh, methodologies. And for digital hardware, we can think about the use of water. It's also interesting because data centers for their run also use a lot of water. So it's not only a manufacturing problem, the water usage, it's also a, a use and operation problem. Uh, but yeah, there are many other issues related to, to this. And when you were talking about recycling, uh, today it's not recycled, it ends up in landfills and it uh, creates ecotoxicities issues because these materials and products are not meant to be uh, dumped in the, in the nature. Yeah. And, and, and let's go, uh, let, let's bounce back on this water question as well, because you mentioned that it is widely used uh, on the run phase. According to some leaders in the industry, the water consumption of data center might become a thing of the past because of a uh, free cooling. So my question to both of you would be, do you believe that free cooling will solve this water consumption issue? And my second question is, is it truly to cool down data centers or to actually use water to produce the electricity that will power them, that we use a lot of water? Sorry, folks, two questions in one. <laughs> so the, to answer the second question, uh, what I'm referring to in the water usage is the cooling part. So using uh, water to uh, cool down data centers. I'm not a data center expert, but... I guess that uh, before all the existing data centers move to uh, free cooling uh, technologies, we'll continue to use a lot of uh, water. Cameron, do you have a position on, on this uh, water consumption um, question? Yeah, my thought aligns with what Ben was saying. I think um, if the data centers are offered free cooling, I can't imagine it would be an immediate impact. You know, it would probably take some time to do that sort of migration or transition 
And I'm sure there would still be a lot of water used for that process for who knows how long, you know, until it's more generally available. Fair point. Knowing that um, I should have mentioned my my source actually, with which who is Davin Mitten, who studied the water consumption um, caused by data sensors, and, and it's pretty high to to cool them down, but it's even higher to produce electricity. Just not sure about the exact number, but I think it was like 80% of the water consumption that could be attributed to a data center is actually because of the electricity production uh, that is used to pour it and only 20% to uh, cool it down. But this is still still very big numbers and I guess it depends uh, the regions. So water usage is def- transfer of pollution, resource exhaustion, water usage. Definitely a need for um, more life cycle assessments. Yeah. Do you believe that this is something that could happen in the near future? Could it happen without some kind of regulation push? Uh, there are initiatives pushing uh, life cycle assessments in the Europe as well. There are some yeah, regulation pushing, pushing for these methodologies be more widely used. So I'm pretty confident we have we'll have more and more data studies examples, and maybe it will also point out the, the lack of uh, primary data that are required to do these life cycle assessments. So I'm pretty confident we'll have more in the future. Maybe not as uh, fast as I would as I would hope, but yeah, I just wanted to call out that David is actually a, a big contributor to our open source tool. So uh, he's been great, and he's been a community expert that we've been able to speak to our methodological decisions to. But uh, back to your question, it's you know it's hard for me to see major improvements or research being formed without uh, any regulation, especially here in the U.S. It seems like most of the strides that I'm seeing, at least, are coming overseas across the pond, in Europe especially. So I would agree with Ben, you know, if you know we start to see some of these regulations, then, you know, there might be more data available for more research and being able to make more knowledgeable decisions. Well, actually, you know, that triggers a question about where we are in our industry. Because green tends to become a bit trendy. We hear more and more about it. But are all the organizations uh, serious about it? Do you believe that some greenwashing takes place as well? So, yeah, I, I would love to hear about what are the main trends that you see today in the digital sustainability area? So, I think what I've seen personally is... Uh, more excitement from different organizations. You know, as I work for a consulting company and we're having regular discussions with potential clients or existing clients about considering a more sustainable cloud infrastructure, um, it's a very lively discussion. There's a lot of interests. At the end of the day, it it needs to get the buyback from the executives. And I think to this point, Along with regulations, um, you need to identify the relationship with the costs as well from a financial standpoint. And a lot of the decisions that are coming down from this level are heavily based around cost. And what I've come to realize recently is, um, you know, I've been more involved in the FinOps Foundation, 
specifically within the sustainability working group. And we're, we're starting to define the relationship between FinOps and what we're calling GreenOps. And, you know, when you combine all those together with software engineering, we're trying to define something called sustainable ops in general. And, you know, once you're an executive leader at an organization that, you know, might want to try and make some changes in the digital sustainability space, but you need to justify it alongside costs. Uh, you know, some of what we're trying to do is help you make that decision, see some of the data, create a new culture around FinOps and GreenOps best practices. And so I think alongside regulations, I think, you know, building out this culture Leveraging FinOps best practices is how you might see a new trend take place across organizations. And pushed mostly by new regulations or pushed by other stakeholders as well? You know, I would say mainly regulations, but I also think there's something to be said about, you know, a company's brand name. And this is where you could consider the issue of greenwashing. You know, maybe there's more and more pressure to promote clean and sustainable brand. And maybe that's becoming a general member of the Green Software Foundation. But, you know, to avoid greenwashing, it's important to actually prove that you're able to make actionable changes. And, uh, you know, this starts with understanding green software principles, understanding how you can make green ops or sustainability a cross-functional requirement when you're making day-to-day decisions. And Ben, you, you wanted to say something. I, I think I actually interrupted you. Sorry about that. What I can say about the, the, the greenwashing issue and uh, talking from a digital advertising background <laughs> is that like in all uh, initiatives, I think we need to be uh, humble. We said time and time again that uh, we used estimations that the data was not robust enough. So this is a, a topic where we can all work together and without any uh, competing uh, problems, but we need to be uh, humble, to be transparent on what we are able to do and not do some big announcements on uh, having solved the problem because we, we all know that it's a long journey. So yeah, that, that would be my uh, my answer to the greenwashing uh, risk. Fair point. So Cameron and Ben, regarding what you've described with the latest trends toward more sustainably uh, in, our, um, in our industry, are you globally optimistic or do you believe that there are still very significant hurdles that will prevent us to reach the transparency that we discussed before and to get a full grasp on all the environmental impact that cloud operations have? You know, I would say from the work that I've seen, without so much regulation taking place at this time, I see a lot of excitement whenever we have discussions with clients at ThoughtWorks talking about, you know, green initiatives or green software principles and greening of their IT. So it seems to me that there is a lot of interest Actually executing on some of this is what's tough without the regulation, but the interest alone is making me optimistic. And, you know, if you can get enough buy-in from 
organizations across the globe, then, you know, maybe they'll start making some of these optimization changes and start using the cloud when it's operated by renewable energy on the grid. And, you know, that alone could snowball and create enough pressure to make the cloud providers a bit more transparent or just get more information released. So I think there is a positive trend going and it. I'm optimistic that we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, I totally agree with, uh, with you, uh, Cameron. Um, and I'm usually a very pessimistic person, but if we look at uh, the bright side, uh, we can see that the digital sustainability uh, topic overall gathers more and more people that are genuinely interested in creating open source commons and acting positively. Big companies, uh, big uh, cloud uh, clients and users are pressuring the providers to, to share more, to move faster on this topic. So I think we can hope that uh, the, the customers can get some, uh, some more pressure in the end and make things uh, go forward, even though the regulation might help, but we'll be uh, a bit late to the party. So I would say I'm pretty uh, optimistic on the fact that a lot of people are pushing for, on this topic. Yeah, and you see a lot of traction, which leads me to the final question, being mindful of time and especially yours. All these newcomers entering the digital sustainability field, and even more precisely, the cloud sustainability field, they will be looking for information. Where would you ask them to start looking for? Uh, I can uh, start. Uh, I personally learned a lot reading articles from David Mighton that you already uh, mentioned. Uh, in the UK and also in France on an other um, approach, uh, the work from Gauthier Roussil. So I would definitely suggest following them. Spoiler alert, David will be on the show before the end of the year and maybe uh, Q3. I still need to work on <laughs> inviting uh, Gauthier, but that will be also amazing. So yeah, so the best thing you could do is uh, follow up on uh, the Green I.O. podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice one. That's a nice one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, apart from uh, from these two, I would recommend following the work from the initiatives we mentioned, like the Green Software Foundation and uh, Boavista, uh, because both are publishing uh, uh, great articles. Uh, so a couple things come to mind here for me. I would say, uh, you know, recently the Green Software Foundation just had an annual summit take place globally. Uh, at different locations around the world. We helped in New York here in the U.S. Um, Asim Hussein, who's the green cloud advocate at Microsoft and a green software foundation board leader, gave a great presentation that was recorded uh, describing what it all means when you talk about net zero, carbon neutral, climate positive, carbon negative. So I would definitely recommend listening to that talk. Uh, I would also say, I think... Uh, you know, another uh, Green I.O. member, formerly Chris Adams, I think he's a great thought leader in the space. He's the executive director for the Green Web Foundation. Uh, he's got a lot of great content. I actually just had a catch up with him recently and we talked through some great things like how to deal with reporting when you have evolving data and methodologies in the space. So Chris Adams, Asim Hussain, those are some great thought leaders in the space, in my opinion. Another reference would be the work from Aurore Stefan, 
about uh, the beyond carbon stuff and the use of metal resources and the extraction. She has done an amazing three hours interview uh, for a French uh, online channel called... Think of you. Yeah, think of you. Thanks a lot. That was a great conversation that we had on many, many different topics. I especially enjoyed how much fact-based you were describing very precisely what you can find in the different tools, what you cannot find, what are the issues being super, super transparent about the lack of data and the fact that we are estimating rather than precisely assessing things. So thanks a lot. It was great having you on the show. Thanks a lot for the invite and uh, having me. Thanks for having me. And just a side question, and the answer will be recorded. How was it to uh, join your first podcast ever? Uh, in my opinion, it was, uh, it was a great experience. I will admit my heart rate was a little higher during the first few minutes, but it calmed down after a little while. That's because you talked about things that you masterize already. And what about you, Ben? It was a smooth experience. Thanks for making us so comfortable. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> You're a lot. great host. I just let people talk, you know, that's, that's really the idea. You're the one with the knowledge. You're the one I want to put under the spotlight, not to shine for the sake of shining, but because I really believe that the work you do is highly valuable for the entire tech community. So thanks a lot to both of you. And um, good night for uh, the two of us and good afternoon. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Take care, both of you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. My dear listeners. I hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it for all of you, the responsible technologists scattered all over the world. Our next episode will be live Tuesday 27th, and as requested in the latest poll, we will talk about sustainable design. We will take a Eurostar train, virtually, to travel between Paris and London and meet Anne Faubry and Tom Jarrett, who are both great thought leaders in this field. And that's it! Thank you for listening to Green.io. Make sure to subscribe to the mailing list to stay up to date on new episodes. If you enjoyed this one, feel free to share it on social media or with any friends or colleagues who could benefit from it. As a non-profit podcast, we rely on you to spread the word. Last but not the least, if you know someone who would make a great guest, please send them my way so that we can make our digital world greener one bite at a time.